Hello, I'm Dana Brooks of Facing Brooks Law Offices, and you are back for another edition of the Empower Hour brought to you by the Empower Plant. Hello, everybody. It's Dana Brooks of Basic Brooks Law Offices, and this is another episode of the Empower Hour brought to you by the Empower Plant. We are welcoming today a good friend and colleague, Jennifer Sweeting, and she is a family law attorney and mediator. So she does a lot of things. She can fight and she can help everybody work things out. So we're going to find out about how she does that, the types of clients she has, but she's also going to talk about something you may not have heard of. It's called collaborative law or collaborative mediation. It's just a different approach to what is usually a really bad period in people's lives. And it's, it's an alternative to duking it out and making it so adversarial and with the right people and in the right setting, it can really uh, help people get through, like I said, some of the worst times in their lives. So I want to welcome you, Jennifer. Jen, I guess you want to be go, go by Jen? Either is fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Um, I want to introduce our panel real quick. We have got our uh, newest attorney, uh, uh, Betsy Brown is here. Betsy, say hello. Hello. Thanks for coming. And we've got Kia Thomas back, our PR director. Hi, everyone. Hey there. And we've got Rose Caswick. Rose is back this week. What's going on, Rose? <laughs> Not too much, but I did make a drink. Um, made a drink. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so we make drinks to honor empowered women. And I was thinking about family law. And this is a white wine sangria with apples and strawberries. And I sort of jokingly told uh, Greg to say that it was in honor of Catherine of Aragon, uh, Henry VIII's first wife, won the first divorce, because uh, I figure family law was not quite so, um, or could, could be less civilized, perhaps. <laughs> so. now, you used <laughs> to just kill the one, right? Kill them and then yeah. get your next spouse. Yeah, it died, yeah. Wow. All that. I tell you what, I know a lot of people who um, consider that, I mean, divorce can get ugly. Jennifer, tell us, or Jen, tell us about um, collaborative divorce. You might want to, I mean, collaborate. How do you even, do you even call it collaborative family law? What, what is the, the term and how does it differ from what most people think of when they think of custody disputes, divorce, that sort of thing? So, so yes, it is called collaborative law, collaborative divorce. Um, those terms can be used interchangeably. Um, it is a totally different thing than what we normally think of with divorce. So in Florida, at least, you know, because I know you've practiced family law before, um, you know, you can have your uncontested divorce where everybody agrees to everything and attorneys just draft it up. And, and that's still amazing. And I'm not discouraging that at all. But up until now, the alternative has really been filing a lawsuit, having the other side served, going through lots of discovery and possibly a mediation, and at the end, a litigation. Um, and if where a judge decides ultimately what is going to happen with this family moving forward. And I think many of my colleagues, along with my clients, would agree that this has just not been an ideal um, way to resolve family issues. And this is not saying our judges aren't doing the best job possible with their resources and what they have, but the system was just never really designed to handle these types of issues. So now we have a, this new process, it's called collaborative, it's in Florida statutes, it's, it's real, I promise. Um, and what it does, it takes a totally different approach. It brings a team together. So you do have two attorneys, but it's not adversarial. The attorneys are there in a support manner. I tell my clients, I can sit at that table and support you and still not be the enemy of your spouse. Right. And we also bring in a financial neutral and we bring in a health, um, a mental health professional that does not give, um, does not provide therapy, but they are the facilitator of the group. They manage the meetings. They bring everybody together. They keep the meetings going. And what we do is we set up this process and we agree to have a meeting once a month. Um, and we keep coming to the table with all parties until it's resolved. 
and the parties and everybody at the table sign, sign confidentiality agreements and contracts that we will not litigate. Okay. I got a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a whole new critter. I, yeah. I, I have a little bit more experience on this. <laughs> so I, I am a subject matter expert, so I will take the microphone right now. Um, okay. Lots of little things going up. Okay. Number one, these pros, this counselor and this financial expert. I'm envisioning they're looking at the financial disclosure. Okay, first of all, the first question is this. So if you do go the collaborative route, is that something you make a declaration and then you're exempted from some of the mandatory things like you can't waive service or you have to have mandatory financial disclosure uh, and to get the checklist, to even get a hearing, that sort of thing? Is any of that different? All different. So there's, okay. two, ways, there's two ways we can get to collaborative. Ideally, Client walks in, talks to me. I say, look, you're an ideal candidate for this. They talk to their spouse. They have to hire two collaboratively trained attorneys that understand this process and have been kind of undergoing that mindset switch that as attorneys gotcha. don't normally attack right. things from this angle. So if that is the case, we sign a participation agreement with the parties and we work towards settlement before we file anything with the court. And the court will then receive notice that this is going to be a collaborative case. The parties then sign a very vanilla joint petition and a joint answer. And it's very much done based on we have an agreement. There's nothing else in the petition. Okay. I got issues with that. <laughs> um, Thinking to myself, you know, if the one person's got a lot of uh, financial information and sophistication, maybe I've been a stay-at-home mom and this person built a company. We, we got together right after high school or college. This person built a company. Um, you know, I took care of the home, helped them in their career. But uh, yeah, I want to get along. Yeah, I want us to be okay. We raised our children together. We just grew apart. So yeah, I wanted to be collaborative. And yeah, I want to sign this agreement. But without, you know, some shark lawyer making sure this guy is disclosing everything, it's almost like when you're negotiating a prenup with somebody who's got a lot more power than you. Yeah, you want to trust them, you want to be collaborative, but sometimes you need somebody who's only looking out for your ass and your money looking at these disclosures. And that's why my next question was going to be these financial and counseling experts. You know, I could see a counseling expert being dedicated to the best interest of the child. And then you're not conflicted because that's easy to do. You're just looking out for children. But I think they also look out for the participants' well-being and try to facilitate their future communication and co-parenting or relationship. But then this financial expert bothers me because this person ought to be able to know if somebody's hiding anything, be able to tell, hey, wife, he's not, you don't have everything you need to make a good decision. And I would imagine that person would feel somewhat conflicted, or at least the lawyers would feel very conflicted and just open season this this accountant person or this financial person getting access to all of our books. It just, I think it's the lawyer in me that's just going, I want somebody looking out only for my interest and, and ready to, to strike. So help me work through those, those lawyer pains I'm having. So that's why you need a collaboratively trained attorney, because it is a, it is a program we go through to fix that, to get us to think differently. It is a completely open, transparent process. The attorneys come in with, and this is why, Dana, this is why you cannot have these attorneys go litigate this. Because yeah. all of those issues would be, in it, would, would be a problem. But the mental health professionals and the financial professionals are also trained in collaborative law. So everybody in the process has got to go through this training. Okay. And what I like about this is, if either of the attorneys thinks at any moment that their, that their client is hiding, not being transparent, doing any of those things, they get out. Okay. Well, and we'll talk about the expense of that, but like I could take over this whole microphone for this whole show and I don't want to do it yet right now. Um, all right. Who wants to go first? You know, this is some weird stuff. <laughs> who, wants, who wants a bite at this? Well, it sounds like sort of a long, ongoing mediation, a mediation that you sort of can't escape with coming back and reconvening and 
trying to agree and it's for the best interest of everybody. And it's obviously different because at a mediation, you've got advocates yeah. or stronger advocates uh, on both sides. But um, it, it kind of sounds the same in principle in terms of one of the things the mediators say of like, you are taking this decision out of the jury's hands and you're making this decision for yourself. Um, does it like empower people to be able to feel yeah, like they're more in control of their situation? Yeah. It sounds like it would be empowering, but I get her point too, which is the best thing about mediation is at some point it's over, <laughs> you know? So I think point the that differs is that, okay, so we have an initial meeting. The initial meeting, we go over the rules, we go over the contracts, we select our financial neutrals, our mental health neutrals, we get everybody on board. And we set an agenda, we set goals for the family. We set, you know, immediate needs. What is there an immediate need? Do we need to have someone move out of a house? Do we need support going, you know, right away? Um, we have those, those um, issues on the table. And we usually assign some homework for documents that we need to get for the next meeting. But as we're having these meetings, we can reach many agreements that we sign. So in that first meeting, we can say, look, we can schedule you know, the next meeting. But in the meantime, we were going to do this temporary um, alimony. We're going to do this temporary child support. We have a goal that dad's going to come to the next meeting or mom or whoever, you know, with their ability to refinance the house. And the other person's going to come with a couple places. And there's always homework and there's always goals for the next meeting. And we always try to accomplish at least a couple things in each meeting that can be written down into the minutes and they can keep the parties moving. In my um, experience, we can get with, there's no children involved. I've gotten people divorced in three meetings. So you're looking at three months. Um, yes, I do understand that it's kind of this ongoing mediation thing, but look at it from the opposite. You're, you're not comparing this to the ideal world where everything just falls into little you know, slots. You're comparing it to litigation. Which, you know, if you file for a temporary, an emergency parenting, temporary support, there's three to four months before you're getting into the courtroom for any kind of solution. And it's a free for all until right. you get this gets yeah. you in with these professionals right away. Um, I know that you mentioned cost. So I, just really quickly. Yes, you're retaining two attorneys and you're retaining these professionals and you're doing it up front. But where this saves the client money is in a litigated case, you're turning over your financial discovery to your attorney. You're turning it over to me. I've been doing this for a long time. I know what to look for, but I'm an English major. So at $325 an hour, I'm looking through your bank statements, your credit card statements. I'm preparing your financial affidavit. I am going through all of those documents to get ready for the next phase. Imagine if you could handle, you could turn in all of those same documents to a financial person who could do all of this for you for $200 an hour right. one time for both parties. No, I see, I see the efficiency in that for sure. Cause it scares you because you're thinking to yourself, oh man, I got to pay just one more professional, but it could be a, a same as it could be an efficiency. Got a lot of follow-ups on all that too, but I want to go to Kia Thomas. She's looking itchy. What are you thinking? <clears throat> you know, you, never you're you're thinking it's probably a good idea to stay married. I hope. You think I'm, <laughs> I was over here like, yeah, never gone through it. Hope I never have to. And um, oh, please don't. We're good to go. We're good to go. Um, but this this does sound good for the gander, so to speak. Um, I'm not necessarily the legal mind here, I'm PR. So I was looking at perspective in regards to all of this. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's seeming as though it's good, but have you, how do you pick who is a candidate for this? Like they walk in and you do an assessment. Do you do, is it during the consultation portion, um, where you're doing all of this because you see that it's amicable. So just wondering for those who are listening, like how, if they are about to go through something like this, how would they know that they would be a candidate? And what do you do? What do you do if one's really hot for it and the other one's being an asshole? Right. So it does take both people to be willing to do it. You yeah. cannot force anybody into this process. It would defeat the entire purpose of the process. So you do need two willing, two willing candidates to do this type of, this type of divorce. Um, you, I offer it to everybody. 
But when they come into my office for a consult, I say, look, we have three options. We have the easy way, we have the hard way, but now we have this middle option. What do you think? Let me, let me tell you about it. Let me offer this to you. Sometimes clients will say like, oh, let me go talk to my spouse. I think, I think the confidentiality of it, I think that we don't have to put everything into the court file. I think that, you know, the ease of having these professionals there to give guidance for the children and to give financial options um, is appealing for a yeah. lot of people. Um, I often think a lot of parents out there, while they're not happy in their relationship and they need a way out of it, they know that this process is very stressful on children. Yeah. Oh, it's live, stressful on everybody. Yeah. I, I always say that. I said, I would not wish a divorce on my worst enemy. There's not a person I would want to see suffer through something like that. Even when you want it, even when everybody knows it's the right thing, it is so demoralizing. It brings you to your knees. I would not wish it on a soul. Betsy, what are you thinking whenever you're hearing collaborative divorce, especially as a lawyer and especially as primarily a litigator your entire career? I mean, this is anathema to why we <laughs> why we get up and get dressed every day. <laughs> right. Where to begin, Dana? Um, well, to piggyback off what Rose said about this sounding like a mediation that just goes on and on and on. Jennifer, is there ever a point where, you know, you meet month after month after month? And you just hit a wall where you are at an impasse. What happens then? So I did have that happen one time. And we ended up employing a non-collaborative mediator and went to a true mediation and were able to settle it at mediation. Um, so you can, you know, bring in traditional elements if it'll be helpful. But I, I've probably done about, 15 to 17 of these over the last couple of years, haven't had one go to court. Do you ever have anyone walk into your office where you're like, this is just never going to work for them? I mean, I'll yeah. offer it, but I just don't see this being, being an option. And uh, why would you make that call or make that determination? So if I mention something like this and you have that person walk in and the first thing out of their mouth is I would rather pay you $50,000 than pay my spouse a dime. Uh, yeah. that, that might I said that one time. One time. Well, not, I don't take those clients because I feel like Shouldn't. I'm probably not going to be able to help. There are people that specialize in family law litigation that are far more qualified than, than I am for that. I've, I am to the point in my career where I've made a decision where that's just not where I excel. And it's not where I want to be. Um, those people are probably not going to be candidates. But the majority of people, when you put on the table an option to keep this private, to have a representative there, and again, that financial neutral is a facilitator, but there is a go-to person to say, what's happening with my children? And I have not had many people walk into my office and not admit, I wanna cause the least amount of harm and stress to my children. I have all these other concerns and I have all these ugly things to say, but I would do anything to protect my children. And when you hear that, this is, this is all possible. Yeah. Do, do you ever uh, do collaborative uh, law with people who don't have children? Yes. Is that yes. more likely or less likely? Is that, is that more frequently or less frequently that the people who opt for this and are successful in it, that they're really just splitting up money and property and not um, arguing over children? I would say my cases have been about equal with yeah. children and without children. Okay, let me understand this because a couple of the lawyers now have said this sounds like an extended mediation. And I know one of the reasons why they're thinking that is because of the um, environment in which you should feel okay to be vulnerable knowing that it can't be used against you later if things do fall apart and you have to litigate. Just like in our cases in personal injury, when we mediate, you know, that's when you're supposed to feel like you can let it all hang out 
and really do the work you need to do to get things resolved because you won't have the fear that if they don't resolve, someone's going to slam you with it later saying, why does she want this much money now? Because she would have taken much less at mediation. So tell me how that part of it, that mediation privilege, you can't, uh, you know, use this against me in the future part works. If the collaborative process breaks down and these parties do end up having to, first of all, what happens when it breaks down? Because everybody's got to hire new people and everybody's conflicted out. Explain that, please. And then the next part. So what, if it ultimately part? breaks down and the parties just say, look, I, we, we want to go litigate this thing. You know, this is just not working for us. Um, the representation agreement that they signed in the beginning explains very clearly that all of our communication, while it is not um, confidential from the team, um, it is confidential for outside the team. So anybody who hires a new, once they go hire new lawyers to go litigate, uh, we are not allowed to share those communications. We're not allowed to share what happened within the collaborative team. But I have seen other people do these where we do get waivers for that to give. I mean, obviously we can give them all their financial work that's been done and they can give that you know, to another attorney. So they don't have to start from ground zero. Yeah, they just can't um, use those people as experts or right. people to testify <laughs> over who should have what or, yeah. That, that person's not going to testify. That doesn't mean they're not going to be able to give their information to the new attorney. So the financial is all done. It's all put together, that kind of thing. And so whenever, if, if things don't break down and everybody does have to go the old fashioned, get a lawyer route, um, they cannot use either of their two lawyers they hired before, correct? Correct. And whenever you said your collaborative lawyers on, and you're talking about team, uh, collaborative team communications. If, if you are my lawyer and uh, Betsy is representing my about to be former spouse and y'all are collaborative lawyers, is my communication with you privileged and not available to Betsy and everybody else and, and her client on the team during collaborative? Yes, you are absolutely going to have that um, in what we call either pre-meetings or debriefings after our group meetings with your attorney where you can have those those confidential um, conversations. Okay, However, so you do still have somebody looking out for your personal interest in absolutely. light of the kumbaya uh, environment in which we're doing this. And I'm being an asshole saying that. No, no, no. I, I am that. I am my client support person. I am there to guide them through. I'm there to give them advice. I'm there to talk them off the ledge. They need me to talk them off the ledge. Um, I'm, I'm there for them. I'm their person at that table. But what I'm not is against their spouse. Um, right. You can do, you can do both. Looking for solutions, you know, so yeah. instead of it being, you know, oh, if you go to court, it's going to be X or Y. We're willing to say we could do all sorts of things. You know, we can get creative and have phased in parenting. It's It's been, it's been wonderful for parents that, one of them has substance abuse issues okay. because again, those emergency hearings are very difficult to get to. We can step in right away with a mental health person and say, this is what we're going to do. This is all confidential. None of this. And we've worked through several of it's, it's been very helpful for those situations. I could see that because the last thing uh, a person who's struggling with addiction needs is a highly contentious litigation involving the destruction of their family. <laughs> I would imagine that would, that I know <laughs> that can push anybody without those issues over the edge. I'm certainly someone who's struggling with sobriety, doesn't find that, that process enjoyable in any way. Um, let's see who else has a comment or a question. I don't want to hog. On your last question though, if yeah. my client came to me and said, I have a Swiss bank account, you know, that I don't want to reveal that it's not, I cannot let that be confidential. Well, you Basically. can't let them lie on disclosures and stuff anyway. Correct. But that's the same in this process. Like, but it's even more like we, we can't help somebody hide. This is a very, this only works if everybody's being transparent. Yeah. I hope no lawyer in any circumstance feels like they can help lawyers help their clients lie. I don't care how important that one case is. Your bar card is much more important. So uh, don't, don't screw that up. Um, okay. Let's see. Betsy Rose, Kia. Yeah. What um, percentage of lawyers do you have any idea family law lawyers are doing this type of, of collaborative thing? And is it becoming, I assume, more, more prominent? 
And I said, I want to know how available uh, lawyers are who are trained in this, plus the, the uh, financial person and, and the other mandatory counselor. How, how available is this to people? So there is a website. I'm on the board of directors of the Capital Collaborative Group for, for Tallahassee, and capitalcollaborativegroup.org will give you a list of all of the attorneys that are trained collaboratively, their backgrounds, their law firms, the financial neutrals, the mental health um, providers. So this has taken off in many other areas of Florida where it is um, being utilized far more than in Tallahassee. But I would say at least half of the family law attorneys right now in Tallahassee are collaboratively trained. The ones that so, focus exclusively on, on um, family yeah. law. Yes. That's impressive. What about the subject matter experts, the financial people, and then the, the counselors? Uh, so don't quote me on this, but I believe we have about... We're being recorded. <laughs> the best estimates. Um, I think we have a good five, five or six um, financial professionals okay. that are doing it right now. And we probably have about four to... We just lost a couple who moved. So we have about four, I want to say, mental health people that are actively taking these cases. Um, so I, that has not been an issue for me. Well, we said, it, hasn't delayed the, it hasn't delayed the progress of the case versus straight litigation because you can't find the other professionals you need to engage with in the process. No. And, and, Great. And I mean, ideally, you have all the professionals. I mean, I'll be honest with you. There, I have done a couple cases where it's strictly money and there's not high emotions. It's just really, we need to work through some sticky issues that we won't get, you know, maybe one of the professionals, you know, involved. Maybe we won't have a mental health hey, person. That, like, could you both go listen? We're both sophisticated professionals. I've got my financial people. He's got his. Um, we're, we're willing to let's, you know, go and, and not wait on this third party accountant person. Can you waive any part of the requirements of it in order to yes. move forward? And I, I personally have never told people that want to do a collaborative case that they can't unless they stick to this strict formula. Okay. What I have told them is we'll try it your way until it doesn't work. Mm. And then we're going to do it my way. Okay, I have another question. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm not currently married, so I don't know why I'm so uh, <laughs> curious about this. I'm not, I'm not looking for my next exit strategy. <laughs> person. Does everybody know that who listens to this? I'm sure people think I'm just a flake. Uh, no, I just, it just worked out that I've been through uh, several marriage ceremonies. <laughs> I don't know why I think it's funny. It is. Um, <laughs> she looks away. <laughs> it's just so awful. You have to laugh about it because I'm telling you right now, oh God, it's awful. I always wonder how people um, like you can make your living doing dealing with there's a, that little thing that they ta taught us in law school. They said, if you do criminal law, you'll see terrible people on their best behavior. If you do family law, you'll see wonderful people on their worst behavior. <laughs> so I'm just like, how do you do it? And then I remember when I was a family law mediator for a while, because I was a shrink before I went to law school. But I remember how many times people would be like, you know, he dropped her off in the same clothes she was wearing whenever he picked her up on Friday. He didn't even give that baby a bath and she was being watched by his girlfriend or his grandma. So he was out with his new woman and just like, and I'm like, I would absolutely jump in front of a bus if I had to deal with that kind of stuff. What, I mean, I guess those kind of uh, issues are not going to be present in collaborative law or am I being naive? We deal with it all. I I'm also a garden ad litem and a parenting coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those issues are absolutely present and they're real. Uh, the differences, we're able to all come to the table. We're able to discuss these things. We're able to redirect um, as a team uh, you know, towards let's really, re let's really focus on what's in the best interest of this child and let's make some progress and let's get your family through this. Um, absolutely, Dana. Like, why do you think I'm doing this? I've been doing family law. Looking for, for an out before yeah. you jumped in front of a bus. Yeah, and it's not working and I'm not enjoying it. You know, I'm seeing the problem that I started having with family law litigation, and I'm sure, you know, you've seen this too, is you do your job and you do your job well. You go to court, you represent your client, you do, you know, the best you can to get their story told and, you know, in that courtroom. And let's just say you win the case, which is 
rare in family law because usually it's a slip. There is no win. (laughs) There is no win. Even if your client gets what they want, you can see the damage that has been done to that family. And there are studies that I've read that have said, if if on average, it takes a person two years to recover from a divorce after a litigation and a, it's double, it's double. So I'm not, I was not happy with that outcome at all. I was not enjoying this process. To me, it's just family law needs this. Family law needs a way to preserve that relationship. And yes, I'm not saying it's kumbaya. Those, those meetings get ugly. We have our moments and we break down and we regroup and we come back to the table and we keep going. But if at the end, these parents are able to preserve even a shred of their civility to co-parent these children, yeah. that's something good. And the other that thing sure we like about collaborative law is you go to litigation, you have your day in court, you get your order, you're done. The attorneys are done. Okay, check off the box. We're draft the order, it's signed, peace out. In collaborative, it's not like that because you're working toward this agreement. You're constantly having conversations about what is this going to look like now? What is this going to look like later? What is it going to look like in six months or six years? So these right. people leave with, you know, getting through a very difficult situation and severing a relationship that was probably extremely important to them for many years yeah. of their lives. They have a way of that. They're going to be okay. They have a plan. After we leave that collaborative room, they know where their money is going to be. Is it going to be invested this way? How are they going to pay for these things? They have a plan. They have closure. It, it, is, it is a different experience for the attorney to see the state that people are in after a collaborative process versus litigation. You know what else I bet it's good for, Kia Thomas? <laughs> I bet marketing. You know what? Everybody you meet hates their family law lawyer. Every time you talk to somebody, they will not tell you anything good about their family law lawyer. I have found that a million times. But I bet you anything, if you had a collaborative law attorney who helped you find some way to uh, not hate this person or them not hate you and y'all to be able to co-parent your children and raise them in an environment where they know that they are loved and they have two parents who mutually respect each other. They just live in different houses and have different lives now. That's a huge win. And I bet if you can deliver that to a client, I bet you get a lot of referrals. Don't you, Kia? I was just, it's so funny. I literally just wrote down relationship building because this is something that definitely helps, um, especially in your arena, um, for them to feel love. Because I was going to ask you, you know, previously, you probably weren't able to really build those relationships. I'm pretty sure now you have thousands of relationships. So what are some of the ones that have stuck with you in regards to this whole new, almost like Aladdin, whole new world that has been opened up into in your arena? So I would say, even when I'm litigating a case, it's very important to me to have those relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are, you are helping somebody through one of their most difficult stages of their lives. They are trusting you to do that. One of the things I tell every client that sits down in my office for a consult is that you have got to feel comfortable with your family law attorney, just as much as you've got to feel comfortable with their knowledge of the law. If you don't feel comfortable with that person being your support through this process, then, then, then you, you shouldn't hire me. You shouldn't hire anybody unless you have that connection. Um, one, two, when you say the connection with the, um, in the family and the collaborative process, the thing that has struck me the most is not the connection I have with my client. Because again, I strive to do that in whatever setting we're functioning. Mm-hmm. It is the letters and the hugs mm-hmm. that I have gotten from the other side. Yeah. When you go through a process and you get a thank you letter from the spouse that sat across the table from you and said, nice. thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for getting uh, us this. We couldn't have done this without you. That. Let me tell you, that doesn't happen until I did. That is a win, lady. That is a big, solid W. I have had my client 
hug opposing counsel in yeah. tears afterwards and say, thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. It's wow. not mediation. Okay. Yeah. It's not that, that taking our positions. It is truly a set the goals, set these problems. How are we going to put the two attorneys? How are we going to work together to problem solve, not against each other? And love that. Difference. Now, really listen, difference. you need to be turning every one of those hugs and every one of those letters into review. Are you doing that? Right. Kia, I can't with her. I, I was just about to like, I'm just about to go to her office right now. We're headed to take it over. <laughs> and do you need intervention? I'm really terrible about We're that. We're headed there. We're coming through that back door. Now, the you know, I send, I send you a lot of people because I, I know you and I trust you. But also because I know you and trust you as a as a colleague more so than a, a family law litigator, mediator, and collaborative lawyer, mm -hmm. um, you mentored uh, someone very dear to me, uh, my stepdaughter Olivia Brooks, who is also a family law attorney here in town. Um, and so this is the Empower Hour, and I want to ask you some questions that are coming from an empowerment uh, position with women. Uh, I want to know of all the people who are collaboratively trained in your profession, the lawyers, how many are men versus women? And are you seeing any holdout or resistance from men more so than women equally distributed? What's, what's the gender uh, uh, thing on that? That's the first question. Mostly women. Mostly women are holding out. No, no, no. Most women are collaboratively trained. Um, we are women are collaboratively trained. Yes. I would think that. Yeah, uh, I, I think we are pulling as many men as we can into this because it's very important that we have men attorneys that are um, a part of this process and we're, we're getting them. Um, but no, it's predominantly women. Makes sense. And then um, mentoring just as a as a female lawyer, as a female professional professional and leader in uh, what you do. Um, how important is that to you? How often do you make time for that with people? And did anybody mentor you? Or, you know, sometimes you have bad mentors or people who are bad examples. I don't want you to call them out. But, you know, given the environment you're coming up in, I'm wondering if you saw, I'm not the, liking the way this is being done. I want to try something new outside of just your personal experience in doing it. I just want to know how uh, leaders, mentors, other people, colleagues inform your uh, practice. So, I, you know, I would say I had two pretty, two solid mentors um, when I was, you know, a baby attorney. They were also very involved in their own practice. So I was flying solo and learning things on the fly much more than, than I wish I was. But none of this was, it, mediation wasn't even required in family law cases when I first started. So it was required is, in all of them, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a case-by-case -case basis when I first started. So the, the attorneys that I kind of worked with and, you know, learned from in my beginning years as an attorney, they couldn't even mentor me in any of this because this was not a thing. I mean, yeah. this was not what you did. It was litigation, litigation, litigation. So, I mean, that, you know, that I wish, you know, would have been different, but I'm just proud that it's making a turn now. And I think yeah. most of the attorneys in my generation are getting behind these practices. They're seeing, they're seeing what I'm seeing. Um, as far as mentoring, absolutely. I mean, I, I am open to it. I am a, you know, mentor for Thunderdome for family law. For That's awesome. Who want to do, you know, family law. I will take any phone call, any time of day to help my colleagues, if they have questions, I, I adored having Olivia with me for that summer. I, I, I would hope that she would still be, I, she still consider me somebody she would call. Um, oh, she does. She thinks so much of you. We all do. But, you know, I'm happy to do that. As far as collaborative, I, I will help any attorney that wants to get involved in this because I think it's that important. I like it. When I, I was a family law mediator for a time, um, this was in 2000, like three, four, five. Okay. And I, and I heard about collaborative mediation. Now I was married to a trial lawyer at the time and I'd been a paralegal many years. And that was just like, what kind of hippie bullshit is this? 
Uh, No, you're never going to get what you need, honey, unless you have a big ass bulldog, you know, tearing people's faces off for you. And I was very, very hostile to it, even though I had a counseling background. Um, I'm different now. I'm different now because I, like you, I've, I've, I've been a guardian ad litem. Uh, I've also seen uh, children and put children through a divorce. Okay, that'll that'll wake you up. Um, and I, I really do believe there's an alternative that's got to be better than the way we do it now. And we're asking too much of our judges when we expect them to go in in a half day or even a whole day trial, you know, hearing, which is kind of a trial on any issue, temporary support or final distribution of assets and custody determinations, those sorts of things, and and expect them to be able to get the energy and the fill of this family and make the best decisions. And then it does turn over to who's got, you know, the biggest mouthpiece or the most dogmatic, you know, lawyer. And a lot of times that results in bad decisions for families that they have to live with unless they want to spend a whole lot of money uh, lawyer up again, and then keep challenging these things that are modifiable and not everything is. So I have really converted my way of thinking about this. I want to hear from Betsy, though. I don't want to hog all the, the forum tonight because I could talk about this forever. You guys all talk about, and Jennifer, especially you, talking about the, you know, the emotions that run so high during these proceedings. How do you manage the emotional feelings of your client? Um, Dealing with your clients in a way that's compassionate, but still maintaining some amount of objectivity um, yourself and also not allowing yourself to get dragged into the emotional aspect of it. Because certainly we spend time with our clients and we, we feel for them. Sometimes we become friends with them. So in, in the family law aspect, of this that that has to be magnified 100%. So how how do you manage that? Great question. So I, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to hear them. You have to listen more than you talk. And that is very hard for attorneys. <laughs> but in the beginning of a relationship with a client, you have to listen. And when they call you with you know, oh, he returned the child in the same clothes or, you know, those type of issues. The first thing you have to do is listen. You've got to hear it. I can't immediately jump in and be like, that's not a, that's not something we're going to worry about right now. But once you've heard them and they feel like they've been heard, then you can move on to the next step of, okay, now let's talk about what solutions are available and what solutions make sense for you. And I am a steward of their case. I can't be their friend. You know, I can be their support person, but if I'm their friend, I'm now emotionally involved in this case and they are paying me to make decisions at an arm length. They don't want me to be making decisions based on my personal emotions. Um, so I feel like that is part of my job is to not allow that to happen. When we get to a point where they feel understood, you know, most people you can talk about, like, I'm also a steward of your funds. Do we want to spend this money to go talk about blankets and children's clothes? Or do we want to really keep our resource geared toward the issues that you've already told me are your most important issues? Keep your eye on the prize. Where do we need to do to get through this? And most people will eventually, you know, kind of, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I don't like what you're saying, but I'll, but I'll listen to you. Now, again, the collaborative process, all I have to do is send out an email to everybody and say, hey, we're having these issues. You know, can we talk about this? And I send that client to go talk to the mental health professional. I don't spend $350 or $300 whatever dollars an hour to talk about these kind of mini breakdowns in the parenting they go to a mental health trained professional. And yeah. sometimes those issues- Blew my mind with that. <laughs> yes. Sometimes those issues are resolved by the mental health professional before we even get to our next meeting. Love it. I, I want to ask you a couple other things real quick. Um, I assume somebody has to file to become a part of a collaborative divorce process. Okay. Yes. Is there any way, you said confidentiality, is there any way to keep that out of public record or at least your financial disclosure? 
used to conceal your divorce case. And then that got to be not so much. And then some things they took offline because they were worried about cyber security and people's phishing and getting their identities or not phishing, but getting their identities uh, stolen from their financial records. What is the status collaborative or otherwise about what gets into public record in a court file? So the biggest place that we can um, keep things out of the court file in that petition, the petition is so it's very vanilla. Yes, it gives you the requirements the court needs. And then all it really says is they've entered into the collaborative process and they're entering an agreement. We normally don't even file those agreements. It normally has, you know, and again, they're joint petitioners, they're joint ans- they're joint respondents. I see. There's no servicing. The language we normally put into the agreements is that the parties will keep these agreements. They will only file them if it becomes necessary to enforce a provision. Okay. The, the judges seem to have different opinions as to whether or not the financial affidavits have to be filed to get signed off on. Um, okay. Court. So that's not, that's, that could be dependent on what judge you get. It can be. Um, I, I believe the law says that you do have to file financial affidavits if there's child support and support issues. My understanding is that you shouldn't have to if there's no support issues at all because of the collaborative Meaning you agree process. or you don't have kids? I'm sorry? Meaning you agree on the support issues or you don't have kids so it's not a relevant issue? If there are support issues or child support, I believe the law says that financial affidavits must be filed with the court. Okay. If you don't have those issues, I don't think they're required. That kind of depends on what judge you get in you get in front of as to how they interpret that part of it. Um, but again, these financial affidavits, the, the purpose of a financial affidavit in a traditional divorce is disclosure, right? The whole point right. of it is that everybody knows we're on the same page. When you're doing the collaborative process, you're on the same page. You're hearing from the same financial. You probably work together to make those disclosures. So we are trying to get some guidance as to can we get that changed? How are we going to get some consistency as to whether these financial affidavits are going to be? I just hate it. I just think that just is just invites more problems for individuals than uh, the good from having that available for public consumption would be. I just I can't really think of the good that would come from it. Um, I, I like and then the I was keeping them with that that marital settlement agreement. And again, you could always say, look, they will be filed in the future for a, yeah. for enforcement purposes. Yeah, that's where I that's what we've been focusing on in the financial in the collaborative is to get yeah. that. Seems like there should be a workaround. And um, the judges, I was asking uh, about their support of it. And my reasoning is this, is it could potentially take longer under collaborative than if they were going the litigation route. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, And so I know judges like things off their docket. And I'm just wondering if they become impatient with the collaborative process and push you in any way. Not at all. Good. You file a notice of collaborative. So I think I said that, you know, you could do this in the beginning and you could file this as collaborative. The other way to get to a collaborative case, and this might be the more popular one right now, is somebody files a petition, somebody else is served. The person who has been served with this lawsuit comes to my office and I say, what do you think about this new way of handling it? And they they like it. They think it's appropriate. They go back. I'll call the other attorney if it's a collaboratively trained attorney and say, what do you think? Do you think this is a good idea? Most of the time it's yes, the parties are, we immediately file a notice with the court saying this has been, you know, converted to a collaborative case. The judges don't get involved at all. They see it as great. They're doing those things. The notice is there that I'm not needed and they let us do what we do. And it keeps some of these emergency, you know, really just bitey things out of their venue. Uh, one more thing, and then I want to go around to our panel and get one final question for or a point or whatever you want to talk about from each person uh, as we close today. But just if you know this number, if not, just kind of ballpark it. But what percentage of people who enter into the collaborative process, eventually it breaks down and they have to go the traditional route? So I have personally not had any of my cases break down. Awesome. So this it's doable. I can tell you it's doable. Um, there have been one or two that I've heard of around town that we've all talked about, you know, because we try to make sure this process sure. is what's working, what's not working. We try to debrief each other. 
I know that there's been two that I'm aware of that has ended up going to litigation. But the ma- large majority of these cases are are stick are coming through all the way in, in the collaborative. Wonderful. Because I, I my last question to you is going to be about the costs. Like if it does break down, you've got to both hire new lawyers and uh, and whatever you know support you need. You got to get retainers because they they can get the benefit, I guess, of your files to a certain extent but they can't use any communications. They may be able to use the financial discovery and analysis by the expert and that sort of thing, but you've got to get new lawyers when you decide to litigate. And that costs a lot of money because I hope people understand that when you fire a lawyer and hire another lawyer or when collaborative breaks down and you have to hire a litigator, um, that person is not imbued with the knowledge of the former lawyer. That new lawyer has got to read the file. They've got to go back through everything that first lawyer has done, and they may not agree with it. And that first lawyer may have gotten them into a bit of a pickle or two that they're stuck in and they cannot miraculously get themselves out of. So I always want people to understand that sometimes you do have to um, fire a lawyer and hire a new one, but that really should be a last resort after things have really broken down because it is so expensive, uh, whether it's in our world, personal injury, or, or, in, or in your world or any other world. So um that that's the thing about the cost. But what I found with people who litigate their divorces don't even try collaborative is it's not uncommon for them to fire lawyers and hire new lawyers anyway, regardless of failing collaborative. A lot of people will hire, fire, rehire their old lawyer. Um, That is the one area of law where I hear about that happening. So I just kind of wanted your, your input on the cost part of it. So my experience has been, and my thought on that is, um, so you're paying a retainer up front for an attorney, whether it's collaborative or not. Yes, you may have an additional $1,000 obligation or $2,000 obligation for these additional um, professionals, mental health and financial professionals. So, okay, you're, you're, you're out of pocket $2,000 more than you would have had you just hired me to do your case. However, if I take your case and I'm doing litigation, you're going to give me a retainer. You're probably going to have to give me a new retainer before mediation or shortly after mediation because that retainer is not going to get us through that process. And you're going to be paying the private mediator. And what happens when, I'm, when the mediation falls apart and I have to get ready for trial? another retainer right. and it's going to be substantial. So when you go into collaborative, yes, you're paying the retainer. You pay the 200 up front. You're paying that 200 up front. A lion's share of what I spend my money on that first retainer is financial discovery and yeah. getting a case ready for mediation. I'm not doing that anymore. You're paying somebody at $200 an hour to do it. Oh, and you're only paying half of that, by the way, because the other party's paying the other half. So you're, you're, Retainer with me goes a lot further than what it normally went. One, two, yes. If this falls apart and you have to go lawyer up and you have to go hire new attorneys, it's going to cost money. So one, that keeps people at the table sometimes. Like, okay, you're right. I don't want to do this. The other side of that is you are either going to pay somebody seven hundred and fifty, you know, seven thousand five hundred and fifty dollars or more to go retain them to go litigate mm-hmm. your case. But wouldn't you have paid me that same money if we had started off in a litigation anyway? So there's always that replenishment of a retainer that's going to be pretty right. happy for litigation. So it doesn't go to me. It just goes to somebody else. That's a good way of looking at it because people think that when they pay that initial retainer, and sometimes that is all it takes to get a case resolved, but you just have to understand a full litigation freight is substantially more than that initial retainer. So uh, I don't think the cost uh, c- concern and fear should be something that keeps people from at least trying the least destructive means of achieving your shared goal of ending this relationship. And, and I would say my most complicated, longest lasting collaborative case out the door, my client paid $9,000. Listen, if you can end the worst process of your life for $9,000 and y'all don't hate each other, that's a win all day long. Yeah. Okay. Let's go around to our panel. Uh, Just a wrap up comment question type of thing. Let's start with Kia Thomas. 
Well, first off, I want to thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here. I know that, you know, the legal side that you deal in every day is so underserved. And as you state, women step into those type of, you know, industries to take over and to make sure, and I know this is my empowered part, because we step in to definitely make sure that everything, you know, runs smooth. So I thank you for everything that you're providing families to even one be able to just co-parent and exist, you know? So I have two questions. Um, just to wrap it up, one, I just kind of want to go back to that Swiss bank account thing. If they don't, you know, disclose that and you find out a little later, then what? And then the other part, which came from my dad on a text, um, he indicated, please ask Jennifer, what does she think about the new bill that is either being considered or has passed and is waiting for the governor's signature regarding the limitations on alimony payments? Ooh, that's strong feelings. That's my but I want to hear from Jennifer. <laughs> well, I haven't read I got some empowerment feelings about that, Kia. No, Jen, let's talk about the, these, these bastards hiding that money. And number two, what she had talked about, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that, okay, if, if you, yes, if you immediately find out or your client discloses, even if it's not a Swiss bank account, even if it's something smaller, but they're planning to do that just is not a condo his girlfriend lives in. Right. About it. Anything like that. The immediate conversation that I have to do with my, I have to say with my client is I pull out that participation agreement. And I say, remember when you signed this, this says that we, this is not information that we can keep. So I'm going to, I'm going to inform the team of this. And if informing the team of this means either one, this, this breaks down and you are unable to continue in a collaborative um, process, that's okay with me because that's, that is not how this is supposed to work. So I'm, I would be fine with that. Um, or if they just say you are not allowed to do this, I would just, I would probably just say, you know what, call the team together for a meeting and say, I am not allowed to disclose why, but I can tell you that I need to withdraw from this immediately and we can't proceed as a collaborative group. Noisy withdrawal type of a thing. Uh, um, well, I want to just one more little thing is this question was premised on if you do find out about it, but what is your role in representing zealously your client to make sure you don't just wholesale accept their disclosure and that if you think there's anything hinky that you go and look into it, how does that work in collaborative? So I haven't really been in that situation because okay. we are sending these, um, these parents, these clients to the financial neutral to do all of their um, discovery, all of their financial disclosure. It's usually the financial person that comes to us and says, hey, I'm seeing a deposit going into this account, but I don't have, you know, where that money's coming from. And the, he, he or she will reach out to the parties okay. and say, hey, I need this information. Can you get me this? That is the person who most likely is going to come to the group saying, I need something and I'm not getting it. We got to call a group meeting and get to the bottom of this. I so like it, that. I like that because it keeps everything a little less litigious that way because it's not coming from one of the, the mouthpieces. It's coming from a guy who's just going, look, I'm just looking at numbers, boo. This doesn't make sense. I just needed to make sense. Right. Yeah. And what would happen is the whole team would get together and we would say, tell us, talk to us about this. What's happening yeah. here? Now, what okay. about, so we're talking about hidden money and what's your second part of your question? The alimony. So there's a bill. They, this one came from my dad. Um, he indicated, what does, Jennifer, what do you think about the new bill that is either being considered or has passed and is waiting for the governor's signature regarding limitations on alimony payments? Yeah, always remember and never forget who writes laws. Yeah, what about that? They, they always talk about it every year. Did they get any traction with it this year? Um, this, this is probably the year they're going to have the, the most um, hope of getting something passed. But, you know, the Typically, I don't, I don't have a problem with the current um, alimony law. I think it's sufficient. I think it works. I think that people, you know, hear permanent alimony and that makes them very nervous that they'll be supporting somebody, you know, for the rest of their lives. But what they don't realize is there is no permanent alimony. You know, it, it's, 
it might be it, all permanent alimony means that instead of already having a date certain that your alimony payments are going to end, you may have to come back to court. You can yeah, still as situations change. Yes, when you're but that's different though. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's different, though, whenever something is determined as a property right. And a lot of people think that that your marital settlement agreement, when you distribute money and property and people have property rights and things, even if they don't vest right away because you got to wait to sell a business or some property or yada, yada. I think a lot of people conflate alimony with any kind of money you have to give a foreign spouse or a former spouse that's not uh, right. child support. And they think those things are modifiable, but there's, there's a difference when someone acquires and owns a property right in something, you're not gonna be able to tweak that later because you got some new information. Correct. Correct. Unless there's fraud or that financial affidavit was not filed out, you know, accurately, but yes, you're correct. There's, there's equitable distribution, what we call it. And that is the dividing the stuff, the pots, the pans, the houses, those that things have to be equitably divided yeah. first. Once yeah. that is done, taking all of that into consideration as to what's available to both spouses, then you get to a spousal support alimony issue. Yeah. And my, my, my issue with alimony, and I get both sides of it, because I get asked about this a lot, is, you know, if we fell in love and got married right after high school or college, and we're together 25, even 30 years, this woman's 50, 55, when we get divorced, I really shouldn't have to pay for her until another 30 years until she dies. Cause at some point she ought to be able to be viable on her own. She's not an infant. And so I get that because I don't think it's a very empowering message to women, but I also see this, if you stayed home and raised your kids and that was the deal you made, you were never planning on working, being a competitive person. You never wanted to be Dana Brooks. You never wanted to be Carrie Roan. You never want to be Kia, Rose, Betsy. That's not the jam. You didn't sign up for that. So somebody ought to pay what they agreed to pay. So I get it, but I just think overall, when you look at balance, I think it puts the woman who agrees to that structure in a very uh, low level uh, in terms of power, in terms of negotiation um, position. So as a functional feminist, I want women to do whatever the hell they want. If you want to be in a biblical marriage, be a biblical, do it. I just really want you to do it with your eyes wide open and hopefully plan for any contingency, the three Ds, death, disability and divorce. Um, let's go to Rose for, for final wrap up comments and questions, and then we'll end with Betsy. Sure. I just really want to thank Jen for being here. I had no idea about this whole process and uh, uh, it was interesting. I'll keep that in mind for anyone looking for a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Learn something, didn't you, Rose? Yeah. I mean, I didn't think, you know, going in, it's like, oh, we're going to talk about family law. It's going to get depressing, <laughs> but this was, this was very empowering and interesting. No, this was empowering and interesting. I would, I would describe it that way too. Betsy, how about you? Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I, I learned a ton as well. And it sounds like this might be the future, um, the wave of the future. And I hope it is because it sounds like it could work for most people and be a very good option other than litigation. Yeah. So nice job. Thank you for having me. Remember, most 90% of cases settle anyway. It's that 10%. That 10% is always going to go to litigation. But for the rest of those cases, I think this is a this is a much better process for, for individuals and families. Yeah, if we could get to where 90% of uh, family law matters were handled this way, boy, would that be a win. The judges would like it. We would like it. Society would like it. It would be less costly. Um, it would be easier for these people to re-enter dating in uh, future marital society if they don't carry with them all these hurts and wounds, you know, from just the breaking up process. Uh, I have, like I said, I've got some experience with this and I know that you can end up with a very good relationship with a former spouse uh, in love in a different form. You absolutely can, but it's, it's, it's in here and it's in here. It's in a commitment to... Uh, not become a statistic and definitely not put your kids through it. So uh, Jennifer, whatever you would like to wrap up with today, but uh, a heart full of gratitude for you making time for us and all of our listeners here today. Thank you. Thank you for letting me do this with you. I think, you know, getting people, the word out of this is available and to the attorneys that are still wanting to litigate and say that there's no money in this, there's also no accounts receivable. Mm -hmm. And litigators know there's a lot of accounts receivable when you're a litigator. 
But thank you. As many people that can learn about this, I really do think this is the way the have and handle families in the future. I do too. And I, I appreciate your willingness to be a pioneer and a leader in this. Uh, but go get those reviews, girl, because you should never have to spend a, money, a dime on advertising. At get all. your people to get you some more clients. You ought to be busy and growing. I'm in a scale mode, so I'm, I'm looking at everybody as something to blow <laughs> up right now. But no, I really appreciate your energy, your attitude, and your willingness to try something different whenever you see that something just isn't working and serving everybody as, as well as it could. So thank you all. Thank you, Kia. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Jen. And thank you, listeners. Uh, we'll see you next week, next Thursday at 430 p.m. for a Facebook Live on the Empower Plant. And if you want to catch us on your podcast, anywhere you listen to a podcast, Amazon Music, it could be Spotify, wherever, we're there. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. <music>